Good morning, everybody. Good to be here with you guys. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Nathan. And for the last week, I found out a very key parenting detail that I feel like I should share with everyone. It's this. If your kid is sick, more than likely, you will get sick. Yeah, I didn't know that. I thought I was going to be the one out of our family that was like, I'm going to beat this sickness. I'm not going to get it. And I got sick. And that's why we had to jump over uh, our second value to value three. We here at Creekside do know how to count. We know that it goes one, two, three. It does not go th one, three, two. But we decided to do it that way. And luckily, Mark is amazing and prepared a message just like that on a Saturday. So this is not a brag session about Mark. In fact, we are in a sermon series called Family on Mission. This is a sermon series in which we wanted to share with you guys as Creekside members, as Creeksiders, what we're trying to do here at the church so that it doesn't just stay here, but it goes into our communities and we see our city begin to change. And that's why here at Creekside, our mission Uh-oh. Boom, there it is. We seek to glorify God by finding life in Jesus together and inviting others to do the same. And two weeks ago, Mark gave a beautiful message on the gospel that honestly I have not stopped thinking about. And the reason why we gave a message on the gospel, one, because it's a great story, two, it's kind of like the foundation of our faith, and three, because our first core value is that we are shaped by the gospel in everything. And then last week, like I said, we do know how to count here. Uh, we jumped to value three because somebody got sick for some unknown reason. So our third value is that we use our gifts as God empowers. But I like that we did it in this order because I believe the first value and our third value play into our second value. Because to be a church that is molded by the gospel and to be a church that is empowered, I believe that we have to have our second value. And our second value is that we foster a culture of love and invitation. So as we enter into me explaining what this means, I thought it'd be good for us to just sit for a second before God and invite him into what we're about to do. Pray with me. God, as we head into this message, I pray that every word I say honors you. And God, I pray for all of us in this room, no matter what stresses, uh, life changes, sicknesses, anything that we have, God, I just pray that you would calm our minds, calm our hearts, calm our bodies. Lord, I just pray for the next 27 minutes that we would be able to sit before your son and learn from Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. So a little background about my life. I used to be a camp counselor, camp, like I worked at a Christian camp for a while, and I love crowd participation. So luckily, second service, you guys are a little bit, you know, louder, just a little bit than first service. And so I have a question for you today. And if you have an answer, just say it out loud. 
And by the way, it does not have to be like a, a city or anything like that, which is everything that people shared last service. But my question for you is, what are some of the coolest places you have ever been invited to? Alaska, where? Retreat? Creekside? Halloween party, yeah, I like that, that's fun. Anywhere else? What was that? The White House, oh my goodness, that's awesome. Uh, one of the coolest places I've ever been invited to was the Golden One Center. Uh, I'm a huge basketball fan. I love, love, love basketball so much. And yes, the Golden One Center is in Sacramento. It is not that far. But what makes this story so amazing is that my brother-in-law who is here today I didn't have to pay for this, so it was clearly great. Uh, we got to go to a suite, and we walked in, and first off, I was like, oh, I'm used to the nosebleeds at this place. We walk into this place, and it's like a banquet table with food. And I'm sitting there like, oh, we obviously have to pay for the food. And he's like, no, it's free. We can eat however much we want. And so I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And then there was a fridge with water and other drinks. But let's focus on the water because we're in church. And it was just amazing. Like, honestly, one of the best trips to the Golden One Center ever. And one that's kind of tied with it, also Golden One Center, is I got to see one of my favorite basketball players, and I might get a boo for this, LeBron James play. Uh, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, but this is a good story for us Sacramento Kings fans. All right. So it was LeBron playing Vince Carter when Vince Carter was on the Kings, right? Vintage year for Vince Carter. He wasn't just like dunking on people, but he had 24 points that game. And he led us to a win over the finals bound Cleveland Cavaliers. Absolutely amazing. What do these stories have to do with the message? Nothing other than they're cool stories. A story that I do want to focus on, though, is growing up, my family would go rock climbing. Sometimes twice a week, sometimes three times a week, but we would always go to the same gym. And my dad had this really cool idea, I think my dad came up with it, of bringing the youth group to our climbing gym. And it was so cool for me because it was an overnight stay, and here I was, and it was like two worlds just colliding, my youth group, and the fact that climbing, which is such a big part of my life, are just combining. And I remember this trip in particular because, as youth pastors do, my youth pastor, I think, forgot about dinner. <laughs> he was just having too much fun. But he was like, you know what, we, we need to go get food. Let's go to the closest fast food place. Uh, Nathan, do you want to come with me? Such a simple invitation, right? I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go. And so we go to Wendy's. We go through the drive-thru and order an ungodly amount of food. And they were so nice to us. They were like, okay, this order is huge. It's going to take us forever. Please pull around front, park in the front, and just like relax for a little bit. It's going to take us a while. And so we pull around front and this worker comes out, and we're thinking, oh, they're going to say they don't have enough patties or something like that. And he has two free Frosties. And he gives it to us, and he's like, oh, man, like, it's been a light day, but we're going to work on your food. Here's this for free for you guys. Right there as a youth kid, I could end this story. Amazing trip, amazing invitation. But that's not why I'm mentioning this story to you. See, there was something that happened in that car while we were parked. 
as me and my youth pastor were talking, he took a long pause, and I don't remember everything he said, but this phrase stood out to me. He said, Nathan, I believe you're meant to be in ministry. I was in middle school. And often, when I doubt my calling, when I doubt if I'm meant to be a pastor, I go back to that day in that car. Because there were a few key things that happened that could have made that event never happen. I could have said no to going to Wendy. My youth pastor could have said no to the prompting of the Spirit to tell me what he told me. But instead, that moment has stood as a foundation for my life, especially in seasons of doubt. And some of you, our entire lives have been molded by great invitations from people. Look at, if you're here with your spouse, look at them. What a great invitation into a life together. Some of us sent out an application to go to the perfect school, and we got an invitation letter to go back. Our lives are literally marked by invitation. And yet the truth of invitation is that sometimes we are too intimidated and afraid to invite people to anything. And I believe the reason that this happens is because there are fears of invitation. There's fear of rejection, fear of judgment, fear of the unknown. What if I ask somebody and they say no? How heartbreaking could that be? What if I tell somebody I'm a Christian and I invite them to church and then they're like, oh my gosh, I want nothing to do with you? The judgment. And what if I say yes to an invitation? What happens then? I have no idea what's going to happen. There's too much unknown. And so these fears stop us from taking invitations or offering invitations that could change people's lives. But the beautiful thing about being a Jesus follower is that Jesus' life was marked by invitation. In fact, he starts his Gospels by inviting people to follow him. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark 1.17. Mark 1.17. It says, And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. That is a powerful invitation. Because when Jesus asked this, these people left their jobs, their families, their homes to go on a journey that they had no idea where they were going. All they knew is that Jesus was so compelling that they had to leave everything to follow him. And on this journey, they got to see Jesus do these amazing things. And one amazing thing that I believe stands out in the Gospels is that Jesus was interrupted all the time. I mean, seriously, read the Gospels all the time. I hate being interrupted. I hate it. But Jesus, in his brilliance and love, used invitation or interruption as an invitation to love. And I don't have any scripture up there because I want to challenge you, if you doubt this point, read the Gospels. 
Seriously, if you doubt it, just turn the pages and you will begin to understand that the entire Gospels is marked by interruption after interruption after interruption. And each time Jesus is like, okay, how do I love this person? Okay, how do I come alongside them and heal them? And the beautiful part about those healing processes and the miracles that we read in the Bible is that Jesus often invited people into their own healing process. Which sounds like a ridiculous point, right? Like, who's going to say no to having a broken leg healed? But Jesus wanted people to understand that the power comes from him. Jesus wanted to be like, hey, do you actually want to be healed? Look at John 5, 3 through 6. John 5, 3 through 6 says, In these, talking about pools, lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew what what he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? Sounds like a ridiculous question, right? 38 years, this man was either blind, lame, or paralyzed. And yet Jesus asks him a simple question, and by responding to Jesus' invitation, this man is healed. Who knows how long he could have been there, 38 years. He could have had this for his entire life, but he was only at this place for 38 years waiting for an invitation. Jesus would often in the Gospels ask questions to invite people into different processes, and sometimes his questions looked more like challenges. But Jesus would always use challenges, questions, to invite people into something bigger. I mean, Luke 18 is a perfect example of this. In this, we see a rich young man. Focus on the young man part because we think we know everything. We don't. And this rich young man comes to Jesus and is like, hey, what do I have to do to get into the kingdom? And Jesus says two things, love God, love others. And like I said, confident young man goes, I've done those things, Jesus. What else? And then Jesus challenges him and invites him at the same time. He says, go and sell everything you own and follow me. What a powerful challenge, but what an even greater invitation to watch Jesus, God in the flesh, walk the earth. And it's not just people who would interrupt Jesus or the Pharisees or uh, even just random people that would question Jesus and Jesus would respond with questions or challenges. No, in fact, even his own disciples and even us today have been challenged with a great invitation. In Matthew 28, 18, 18 through 20, we hear of the great commission. And I'm only going to read verse 19. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Some of us read this and we go, all right, that's a command. Like, we just need to go do it. It doesn't say the great command. It says the great commission because it's an invitation into what Jesus and God are doing in our communities around us. It's an invitation to go to other countries and spread the news of the gospel and baptize people in the name of Jesus. 
And these are powerful stories and great points about how Jesus lived a life of invitation. But if we're completely honest, and even as I prepared this, I have this little skeptic in me that's like, great, that's Jesus. We're not Jesus. We're going to be rejected. We're going to be judged. We're going to lead into some unknowns that we don't even know where we're leading people. Like, honestly, if I were to get off the stage and walk over to those doors and turn around and be like, everyone, leave your cars, leave your homes, leave your families, and let's go to Folsom Lake and baptize everyone there, maybe one of you would follow, and that's because you're my wife. But that's about it, right? Jesus had amazing ministry, and it's hard to sit here and be like, how are we supposed to do these things? But the truth is that Jesus was rejected so much that it ended up leading to his death. None of us, I pray, will be rejected so much that it leads to our death. But even in rejection, Jesus found a way to invite people. In Matthew 12, 9 through 14, we read this great story of Jesus sitting at a synagogue with a bunch of Pharisees around him. And this is what it says. It says that Jesus went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. By asking this question, Jesus is saying, okay, your question is to catch me in a lie. It's to reject me. It's to accuse me of doing something. But instead of getting upset, getting riled up, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to respond with a question that's going to invite you into a process of deep thinking and thought. And this is how Jesus always responded to rejection or accusation or judgment. He would ask a question to invite people into a deep process of thinking. What if we did that? What if we weren't afraid of confrontation? What if we weren't afraid of what our atheist or other religion neighbors thought of us? What if we could engage in conversation to actually see them as an image of God? Because whatever religion they have, they're still made by the same creator. What if we could be like Jesus when tough conversations come, we don't shy away, instead we engage in them. And honestly, I think we get so caught up in our culture of having the correct answer or having a quick answer that we don't realize it's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay when somebody questions you. If you're like, honestly, I have no idea how to answer this. I don't know why that happened to you. I don't know what is going on with your life. I don't know. But here's what I do know. And share with people what Jesus has done for you. And even then, people may still reject you. And that's okay. Because when they reject you at that point, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. And Jesus even tells us what to do in these types of situations. 
Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Luke 14. In Luke 14, we see this great story of Jesus accepting an invitation to the home of a Pharisee. Which means that Jesus was basically accepting an invitation to somebody that hated him. Jesus was like, you know what, yeah, get all your friends too that don't like me. Yeah, invite them over to your house, and I'm still going to show up. Because Jesus, in his love, mercy, and grace, would accept an invitation to the home of his enemy. And here in chapter 14, we see the conversation start out as a conversation about healing at the Sabbath. But it quickly turns into how we should respond to invitation, but then also how we should invite others. And so this is where we're going to pick up. We're going to pick up in verse 15. And verse 15 says, When one of those, one of the Pharisees, who reclined at the table, heard him say these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets, lanes, and cities and bring in the poor, crippled, blind, and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you command has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who had been invited shall taste my banquet. What Jesus is saying here is that he had this great invitation to the Pharisees. A great invitation to the people who had studied the Old Testament that knew that the Messiah was coming. And yet they made excuses and rejected him and didn't follow him. So what did Jesus do? He invited others. He went to the streets and would talk to anyone and everyone who would listen. And this story is a great example of how we should respond to rejection. Instead of taking it personal, instead of being upset about it, even though it does say that the person was angry, be angry. Righteous anger is a good thing. But don't get mad at the people. Instead, turn it around and go out and continue to invite people. And these are some key stories in Jesus' life that mark him as an invitational guy. But I believe that we can pull four principles out of this that Jesus is calling us to. And the first one is this. Jesus calls us to live a life that begs questions. Like I have already said, in the Gospels, Jesus would constantly be stopped and asked questions. 
not just by Pharisees, by his disciples, by random people that just wanted to touch his cloak, everyone would stop to ask Jesus questions. Why? Because he balanced grace and truth and love and mercy. What would it look like if we did that? What would it look like if we could walk our lives in a way that people couldn't help but look at us and go, goodness gracious, why is that person different? Because the truth is, every single one of us here is the closest thing that some people outside these church walls will get to Jesus. Will your actions make the person go, I want to see who that Jesus guy is? Or will your actions make the person run the other way? And in order to live a life that begs questions, we have to be intentional. I used to have a boss that would tell me, people only know you care if you show up. And I believe that's true, but I would take it an even bigger step forward. Because you could still show up and just be in the back, kind of minding your own business, just you know, not caring about anything and being like, oh yeah, my kid just scored a basket, cool. And great, you're there, but are you actually intentional? Are you actually sitting and giving people your eyes, your ears? Goodness gracious, how much do we starve for people's eyes nowadays? We're so busy looking down that we don't realize that what the people around us need is just somebody to listen and give them your eyes. If we simply did that, goodness gracious, I believe we could change the world. But I believe if we live a life that begs questions and we can be intentional, it leads us to the third thing I pull from this. That Jesus calls us to look past labels. Jesus wasn't the least bit concerned with what people thought of him at all. In fact, some people were like, Jesus hung out with uh, prostitutes, drunks, and tax collectors. Goodness gracious, horrible people. How dare Jesus do this? But Jesus didn't care. Why? Because he loved people. In fact, when the leaders and religious people of the day labeled a woman a whore, Jesus saw her as a daughter of the king. When his own disciples who had been following Jesus made fun of tax collectors, Jesus saw broken stories and broken people. Why? Because Jesus always saw the person. He didn't care about the label. And goodness gracious, Christians, how often are we the ones that put labels on people? You can't love somebody if you put a label on them. You have to push the labels aside and risk being rejected. And that's why the fourth thing I get from this section about Jesus is that we must live lives that risk being rejected. Because life happens in the mess. Character is built in the mess. If we can risk being rejected, we can change our community. And if you don't believe me, I get it. But look at what the word of God says in Acts 13.44. And to set the scene here, in Acts 13.44, Paul and Barnabas are going around and preaching the gospel. And in a city, they're like, hey, come to our local synagogue and preach the gospel to us. And Paul must have given the best gospel message ever because the whole entire synagogue was like, Paul, can you please come back and teach next week? And so they decide to stay, and Paul does a message the next Sabbath. And look what happened on that Sabbath. Acts 13, 44 says, 
the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of God. What's amazing about this, in my research, I found out the city that they were in had 50,000 people living there. 50,000 people. And to have nearly 50,000 people come to their church is amazing. But, of course, if you know anything about math, you're like, cool, 50,000 people. But how many people originally were going? Like, if there were 40,000, that's actually not that big of an increase at all. There were only 200 people the first Sunday or the first Sabbath which means that each one of those 200 had to go out and invite 250 people to church. Can you imagine hearing the gospel message and being so changed and experience the freedom and love and grace and community that is devoted to the gospel? So much so that you go out and invite your entire neighborhoods, but not just that, your kids' schools, not just that, every single person you know and every single person you see on the street. A community that could do that is a community that is fostering a culture of love and invitation. Nothing else could do that. Now, I want to do a disclaimer here real quick, because this is not a message about growing our church. Honestly, I could care less, (laughs) and that sounds bad to say as a pastor, but truthfully, what I care about is that the message of Jesus touches every single person in our neighborhoods. That every single person that is alive today can hear the truth and healing nature of who Jesus is. And we here at Creekside care that you are putting Jesus on display because we are students of Jesus, which means every single place we go, we have the image of Jesus. So when you go to your jobs, when you go to your homes, when you go to your neighborhoods, You are showing who Jesus is by your very actions. And we are uniquely called to join God's redemptive plan to improve the world around us. And that's why here at Creekside, we care about getting people to a place where they can come to know the healing nature of Jesus. We want Creekside to be a community that fosters a culture of love and invitation because that is the way of Jesus. And I know that some of you are looking at the invite card and you're like, how can this not be about going to church? But the truth is, we have those invite cards to make you think about the power of invitation. Because you never know how an invitation can change someone's life. Even an invitation as simple as inviting a youth kid to a Wendy's. So let's pray that at Creekside we could be known for this value. God, as we end our service and as we head into some worship songs, I just pray that we would meditate on what Jesus teaches us here. That we would spend time with Jesus, walking with him through the Gospels, realizing that Jesus' life was marked by invitation. And although invitation is hard, God, I pray that the Spirit would lead us to risk being rejected, to live lives that people can't help but ask, wow, you're a follower of Jesus? How do I get to know that guy?
Lord, I pray that we can be so intentional that we look past the labels that society has put on people so we can truly be a place that fosters a culture of love and invitation. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.